Welcome to Give Him Hell, Bergen. How are you doing tonight, Jeff? I'm doing really well, man. It's been a long week, but uh, doing well. How was Memorial Day? Uh, it was good. So I actually, I took Tuesday off as well, went for the extra long weekend, and we nice. went down to the zoo, um, took our daughter down to the zoo in Columbia, walked around, got to be outside a bit, and uh, it, it was good. Felt nice to be able to do something semi-normal. I mean, they were still at limited capacity, and you had to buy our tickets for a certain time to make sure they didn't get too crowded and all that, but it was fun. Isn't it, isn't it weird how life works? Like I remember with my daughter, especially so my first of three kids. Um, like I, I went to the zoo as a kid and it was like the coolest thing in the world. And then I never went to the zoo again because the zoo was super lame. And then as an adult and I had a kid again, it was like the zoo was the most exciting thing all over again. And right, then my, my parents are like pumped to take their granddaughter to the zoo too. And it's weird how the same things just kind of cycle through and it's the same excitement as if I was the five-year-old again. It's weird. Right. It's the excitement that you get from seeing how excited your 18-month-old is from feeding a giraffe some lettuce. <laughs> and it's just like the big smile on their face. It just makes your day. Um, it's funny. But I know. It's, uh, we got some good traction last week, uh, you know, hanging in there. So we got a couple, couple more five-star – well, we got a couple more five-star ratings. We didn't get any more five-star reviews. Um, so if you follow on Apple Podcasts, you know, go ahead, leave a five-star review, and we will read it. However funny it may be, uh, if it's a little too vulgar, we may censor it, but let your creative juices flow. Um, and so do that. And also come check us out on cougarsportsinsider.com. If you're not already a member, um, you know, come sign up for the board. We have a lot of great content there um, that you won't really coverage for BYU that you won't get anywhere else. And uh, you will also, with that, get access to every other school in the country's message boards as well. So you will have more content that you know what to do with as well as a, be able to stream whatever you want from CBS All Access. So it's a good thing we got going over there. And a great deal actually right now. So today uh, we're recording this podcast on a Wednesday night. And today uh, is free VIP day over at Cougar Sports Insider tomorrow. And actually I think it's tonight at like 10 o'clock. So by the time this goes live, the, the deal should be live. 75% off of an annual membership. It's the best deal that we will have probably until uh, Cyber Monday after Thanksgiving. So if you want the VIP content, all that inside information on recruiting, on the season, once everything gets kicked off again, uh, now is the time to get in for the best deal uh, before really, you know, the football season's almost over. So what does the 75% off, what does that knock it down to? Oh man, uh, that's like two seventy five a month. So that right about brings, in there. Somewhere. So that's like thirty five dollars ish for the year. So it's yeah. I mean, so instead of getting the large combo meal like once a month, just subscribe to CSI tomorrow, and it's kind of net even at the end of the day. Right, but a lot more value. So it's it's like getting the four for four year round. There you so, go. Yeah. Uh, so a couple news items to start with. Um, you know, I was hoping, we were all hoping that Mac McClung was going to come to Provo and we were going to have Return of the Mac be the episode title for today, but sadly he is going to Lubbock. So I think it was... Lubbock it, sucks. It was expected. I don't, I don't get it. Like why? Everyone in the Big 12, you do not want to go to Lubbock. You want to forget that it's there. Like Lubbock is, it's like UTEP. Like even I'd probably rather go to UTEP and be in El Paso than Lubbock because it's the same place, but you're closer to a halfway decent sized airport. Yeah, yeah, Lubbock, man. Lubbock is the Big 12's Laramie. Like, it is the worst. Nobody wants to be in Lubbock. The only difference between Lubbock and Laramie is that at least it's Texas, so you don't get that crappy weather. But, man, Lubbock sucks. So, I mean, good luck to Mac McClung. You know, we wish everybody the best. I, I have a little bit. I don't know, man. With recruiting, when it's high school kids, like I, I let them. You know, I don't. I don't feel emotion. I don't really. I really don't get angry when somebody doesn't pick BYU, anyways. But I feel a little bit more calloused when it's a transfer that doesn't pick BYU. Nah, just whatever. Lubbock sucks. Enjoy it. Well, Mac McClung, good luck. We will never speak of you again on the show. And now we only care about East Tennessee State transfer Davian Williamson. Hopefully you can come and play like Zion. I hope so, but I, uh, that's going to be really tough, right? His, his coach at East Tennessee State, now at Wake Forest, now recruiting him at Wake Forest. I mean, this feels a lot like a Jake Toulson thing 
Oh, but uh, Mark Pope does some crazy stuff, and so you never know. Um, you know, the forgotten man in all this is still Syracuse's Jalen Carey. He hasn't gone anywhere. Uh, BYU's still in the mix there. And it wasn't that long ago, you know, before McClung mania, that everybody was really excited about Jalen Carey and what he could bring to the table for BYU. So still an option. That's still out there. I think, well, McClung, it was just because he put up such good numbers at Georgetown right. is what really what it was. And Carey was highly recruited out of high school. He was a four-star prospect, but he just didn't quite put it together when he was in Syracuse. And so, it, you know, he battled some injuries and things like that. So it definitely is hoping for a rebound type situation. Um, and But the raw talent is definitely there. So I think it's understandable that everyone was so high on McClung, but, um, you know, Best of luck to him in Lubbock and everything that comes with that. Freaking Lubbock. Man, I can't get over it. Lubbock. Uh, it's, it, it's you know, and it's just, uh, you're really going to get me on a rant here tonight, Garrett, about Lubbock. But, like, they're in the Big 12. It's freaking Lubbock, Texas, man. Like, some of these schools, and even, like, the powerhouses, like Tuscaloosa, Alabama, just that were, you know, had the benefit of geography back when nobody could go anywhere and somehow they ended up at this power conference. It's, well, yeah. Well, I mean, Tuscaloosa is only about 30 minutes outside of Birmingham. So it's not, and you still got a good sized city there, but like Lubbock, Manhattan, Kansas, there's nothing in Manhattan, Kansas. Nothing. Or I don't even remember what city Iowa state's in. I not oh, I was in Ames, but I can't think of Iowa State off the top yeah, of my head. I, I can't either. But that's it's, uh, I mean Lawrence, Kansas. There's nothing going on there. Waco right. was nothing until Chip and Joanna Gaines decided <laughs> to start <laughs> making money hand over fist. The Branch Davidians killed Waco, but somehow Baylor, you know, kept going. Right, it's, and I, I'm there. I'm with you. It's just crazy. And then you have a town like I mean, you know, Utah now, obviously Pac-12 now. But 10 years ago, a place like Salt Lake City, Provo, like the, the greater Wasatch Front, and it wasn't considered a, a P5 school. It's just, it's crazy to me. And I get a little bit annoyed when it's Lubbock, Lubbock, Texas, man. But you brought up, you brought up Iowa State, and they made an announcement this week that's pretty interesting that it could have bearing on what BYU does with the upcoming football season this year. Uh, they announced that their football games would be at uh, – well, the, the, the stadium would be at 50% capacity and really limiting uh, the attendance to season ticket holders only. Is that something that would work at BYU? I think it would. I mean, I, I'd be curious to see what the total number of season ticket holders are because obviously there's the couple games, obviously the big games. Like if it's a rivalry game, you're going to get a ton of people there. Um, you know, if Utah State or Boise State or Utah come through town, um, whatever game that is the first weekend in October, if that is a home game, which traditionally, or at least for the last you know decade or so, it's been Utah State on that Friday night. Um, but whoever is playing on Friday night um, conference weekend will get a good crowd because you have a lot of out-of-state people coming up. But I those rest of those games, I think it could. I don't know how they will figure that. Um, you know, I think a lot of it is obviously they're going to try to keep 50% capacity, but it's going to be spacing. But it's not just going to – I don't think it's going to be, okay, well, we're going to go every other seat and then stagger every other seat. Right. So there's kind of like a diamond of people going across. You know, I think it'll probably more likely to be, okay, this group of people, you have your tickets here, then we're going to go three seats down because that's six feet and then put another group of people there and or whatever and kind of bunch it up like that. And so if you do that in Provo, I mean, you got families with like 15 people showing up to every game together. Because <laughs> I mean, like even if you look at it, so when I was living in you know, still living in Utah, I had my season tickets. It was like me and my dad and a few friends. Uh, we were with Pierre Guzman uh, at Goober Goose. If uh, you give him a follow on the twitter.com. But so we had our tickets of like my family and his family and uh, Finn Daddy, 81, Casey Finlinson was also there with us. And so we had 12 tickets, you know, in our group and that were all together and, you know, tailgated together and everything before and after the game together. So if you're putting them together in groups based on, you know, season right. ticket accounts, that may look, you may end up with more than 50% and still be fairly isolated. And, you know, things are constantly, I'm kind of surprised that they're announcing it this early, um, mostly mm -hmm. just because things are so constantly changing in terms of 
you know, the CDC, they're changing every like two days. It seems like, of you know, if it can last this long outside. No, it can't last on this long. You can get it. Like if someone, you know, sneezes at you from 10 feet away, you're definitely going to get it. Like, Oh, never mind, Nothing is going to happen. So it's, things are so constantly changing. I kind of feel like in terms of being in an outdoor setting with, you know, in an open air basketball, it's completely different because you are stuck indoors and you're recycling air, but you know, outside on a fall afternoon, I think we may see things very differently. And I think if anything, this is probably just them trying to put a vote of confidence in the fans saying, yes, we're committed to making this season work. And it's easier to roll back and say, you know, I guess they're saying it's easy to say, Oh no, like we got clear guidance that from the CDC or whoever the powers that be are, and we're going to go 75% or whatever it is. Right. I, you know, honestly, I, when I, when I first saw it, I kind of thought it was just a way to boost season ticket sales that are dragging. Uh, that honestly is probably it, it too. Right. I mean, if you sit, if you come out and you say, Hey, look, we're going to make it 50%. Now you have a, you know, an even more finite number of tickets that we're going to allow in. And we're going to say, Hey, uh, it's only for season ticket holders. Well then, yeah. I mean, of course, those guys who are hanging out on, you know, Facebook marketplace and KSL looking for cheap tickets right before the game. Now they're, their supply is dried up. Uh, I, I kind of think it's a marketing play. I agree with you. I think that it's uh, a vote of confidence for their fans to say, hey, look, we're committed to having a football season. I also think it's a way that they're trying to boost potentially dragging numbers. I mean, every athletic department in the country right now has, has lost revenue and is dragging a little bit. And if they could figure out a way to boost season ticket sales, I think that's what they're doing. Uh, and I think that's the only way, that's the only reason it makes sense to me why you would announce it in late May rather than waiting until July or August, uh, you know, make an announcement like that. Right. And I don't think it's, I, I mean, I think it's probably true because I know at least I haven't renewed my season tickets for the sports that I have out here just because I'm like, I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't want to deal with, you know, trying to get a refund or whatever. It's like, I'll just wait and see what happens. So I think it's probably is trying to prod people in that direction. But I think, you know, everywhere facilities are opening, um, Depends on the conference, but, you know, BYU is opening things back up on June 1st. You know, the SEC is on June 8th. I think the Pac-12 is also on the 8th or the, either the 15th. So first two weeks of June, pretty much every athletic department in the country will have their doors open to their athletes to come in and get training and treatment and things like that. So I don't think, it, I don't think it's a question at all of whether a season is going to happen. Yeah, I, I think I'm with you. I think that, that uh, the athletic department's opening back up you know, early June, pretty much across the board is really the uh, first positive momentum that we've had of, Hey, there's going to be a season. And at that point, how can you not have a season? You know, I mean, unless there is a crazy outbreak that goes across a state and it's impacting all of these college kids while they're training, I I just don't see any way that they backtrack from this. I feel like you've kicked everybody out of the facilities off of campus and now you're bringing them back in that's it. Right. I mean, unless it gets like dire, that's it. So I think it is safe to plan on football happening and really happening on time, uh, at least at the college and the professional level, but it is going to be difficult to determine where fans fit into that equation. And I don't know. uh, I don't know that it even kicking, I think, well, everyone just said they sent all students home at every school across the country, but in terms of keeping athletes out, I mean, from my non-scientific opinion, the, I mean, at least in a, in a university weight room, you know, who's coming in and out, they have badges, they're checking in. It's very thing versus now it's like, if every state, like if you're living in a state where the gold's gym or the Vasa or 24 hour fitness, whatever is open to the public and you are an athletic department, like you need to open your doors to your athletes because that will be safer for them because you don't know who's going to the gym and where they've been. But I mean, if you're, you know, if you are in Lubbock, Texas, there's nothing else to do in Lubbock. Their kids are probably going to be sitting in their apartment, go to the gym, work out, go to their player run practice and come home. And so that's going to be more isolated and more quarantine because these guys, no matter how much you want to try to tell yourself that they are quarantining and staying at home and doing whatever they're trying to find every way they can to either stay in shape or, you know, put on, cut the weight that they needed to cut and put on more mass um, and still work on developing their body. And that's no virus is going to stop that of them trying to do that. hundred percent or, or finding places that they can go that aren't quarantined. I mean, we've, we've seen a lot of that with BYU football players that, 
Uh, maybe the areas that they were in were shut down, but they could come back to Utah, hang out with a friend or you know, stay with a, a teammate, and there they could work. Uh, Chris Jackson is an example. Chris Jackson had been in California where things have been pretty locked down. I don't know if it's public knowledge. I know I wrote about it on, on Cougar Sports Insider a couple of weeks ago. But Jackson's in So you're saying if, someone, if a listener was a VIP, they would have known this already? That's you would have known this already, yes, okay. for you a couple have. of weeks now. Uh, but Chris Jackson's in Provo. Uh, he is currently living with Chris Wilcox, and he's been enrolled in classes, he tells me, and he's getting ready to have the season. And it was easier for him to just come and, you know, bunk up with Chris Wilcox and, and you know, figure, what out, or figure, figure out what he needs to do before BYU officially opens back up than it was for him to try and stay in shape in California where things were a lot more shut down than it was in Provo. So there's a lot of scenarios like that. Uh, D'Lo Mandel, I, I still call him D'Lo Gunter, but D'Angelo Mandel, uh, I think he was staying with Chaz Ayu for a while uh, rather than going back home to California because of a lot of the same reasons. So uh, a lot of that, I, I think you're spot on here. Uh, opening things back up, at least then you know where everybody's at. You know what to, you know how to handle that. Um, and you can, you know, sanitize your own stuff, whatever it is, and you kind of know where everybody is, you know what they're using, you know who's got what, and it's a little bit easier to maintain. Yep. And so um, that's kind of our uh, – there was one more piece of news, sorry, uh, that we had, that the NCAA officially extended the dead period through the end of June. Um, so there will be no in-person visits um, either at recruits' homes or at their high schools or recruits coming onto campus. It is a dead period. Uh, so what does what does a dead period mean? And is this just an in-person dead period or is this like a total complete dead period the way it is leading up to signing day? Yeah, so in-person dead period. And it actually just this evening got extended through July 31st now. So now we're even in an extended dead period even more than it already has been. Um, but yeah, so when we hear dead period, the terminology is a little bit uh, misleading. It's not a dead period in the sense that there can't be any contact whatsoever. Uh, the NCAA has actually allowed you know, unlimited Zoom calls and things like that. So the, the restrictions on, on how often or how frequently um, coaches and recruits can have communication, there aren't any. They just can't have any in-person contact. Right now, typically, it's a big time for coaches to go out to these high school campuses, watch spring ball, watch some of these guys in pads, and, and do a lot of those evaluations. That's not happening. And then it's an also it's a really big time. Uh, for visits for a lot of these players, both official and unofficial visits now. Typically in the spring, up until last year, it had only been unofficial visits. But uh, as of last year, recruits were able to take official visits in the spring. But right now, all of that locked down. Uh, that's the dead period. So there's none of that in-person in contact, no camps, no anything like that. So it's they – I mean, we've talked about this the last couple of weeks, but it's – it's recruiting is going to be very strange this year because kids are trying to get their spot where they can. And some of those will, the players will move on and the coaches will move on as they figure everything out. But I think there's, there's definitely just a lot of panic across the board um, for how, you know, what things are going to look like and even being able to lock kids up. And so it's kind of, there's a, a run on toilet paper and a run on recruits right now. Um <laughs> So next, uh, we want to introduce a new, uh, a new section of the podcast here. Just a quick thing. So we're doing quarantine kitchen. And maybe once this all opens up, we'll keep moving with cougars cooking or cougars in the kitchen or something like that. But today we got quarantine kitchen. So what's something that you cooked this week or something you tried out this week? What's going on in your grill? So this week, I, uh, I have some friends. They, they make seasonings and rubs and things like that. Grilling gods. They're based out of Las Vegas. And they make a, a new, it's, it's actually a seasoning, it's not a rub, that they call Slice of Heaven. And it turns out that it's kind of like, I didn't know what it was when, I, when, I, when they sent it to me. And it turns out that it's kind of like an Italian seasoning. It's got like hatch chilies and oregano and things like that. So it was, it, you know, immediately jumped into my mind that, oh, I could use this with like beef, pizza, pasta, something like that. So for Memorial Day, like a true American, I just made a giant ribeye steak uh, and I, I cooked it out on my Kamado grill, so I had a little bit of smoke flavor going, but I did it in a cast iron pan, did a ton of butter, and then just put this Italian, this, this slice of heaven seasoning in the butter and let that kind of marinate in the butter, 
And then that was when I seared and based with that butter right on the grill with the smoke. Man, it was it was incredible. And then I didn't eat it with any sides at all because I wanted to feel like a real American. I just had a big giant slab of meat on my plate and that was all I had. But it was awesome. That's the way to do it. I actually tonight we went the reverse of that. So maybe this is the most un-American thing that we had a <laughs> uh, we had a vegetarian meal tonight. I know I won't call it a burger because I feel like a burger has to be beef like you can't have a chicken burger like that is a chicken sandwich whatever but so this had a patty but we've been eating a lot of sweet potatoes lately so we had it was like a a chipotle sweet potato patty so it was like i had a baked sweet potato and then took that and mashed it and mixed it with uh corn and black beans and cilantro and chopped up a chipotle pepper and put some of the adobo sauce in and then with garlic and salt and cumin and mix that up and with a little cornmeal to help bind it and made it into patties and f- cooked it like a burger um, and then topped it with the on a on the bun with some aioli and the and avocado slices and cheese and it was uh it was good it was a little it was different is i don't remember where we found the recipe but i'll put it in the show notes and it was good i was pleasantly surprised it sounds good. I mean, it doesn't sound like a burger, but it sounds good. Yeah, I'd, I wouldn't call it a burger. The recipe calls it a burger, but that feels sacrilegious to me. It would I call it a sweet potato patty. Um, and then we have our first Hellion of the Week. So um, Hellion of the Week, as I kind of looked over what we talked about with people for a little refresher, is that we want to give an award, and we're going to send some merchandise uh, once we get that finished lined up to somebody who is giving life hell and just totally owning things. And so this week we have um, a relative of a friend of the podcast. So it's, um, if you don't follow saying Kim, he's at five, the number five pound LB trout on Twitter. He's uh, one of the best followers there is. He's a very good friend of mine. And I look up to him and his brother, Dave uh, is a retired forensic firearms expert. Um, He worked for the LA County Sheriff. And so he, is very into firearms and other things. So he started a YouTube channel uh, of him shooting things and talking about guns and just throwing lead in general. And all of it is in Korean. You know, they're an immigrant family from Korea. And so it's, you know, it's awesome to see. It's like, here's this retired guy. He's driving a Humvee that he bought from the army and he drives a Humvee around and he's wearing like a U.S. Marine Corps shirt and shooting all of this stuff. And but it's all in Korean. I don't speak Korean, but I speak throwing lead. So <laughs> that's incredible. That is incredible. That is so, the definition of giving life hell. Good for Dave Kim. That's incredible. So it's just, you know, we're stuck in quarantine. We have nothing to do. Go start a YouTube channel. We started a podcast. Just find something and run with it. It's awesome. All right, man, let's move into our, our mailbag. We've got a few questions. We, we kind of touched on them already a little bit, but the first one here. Um, what long-term effects will there be, uh, with BYU athletics specifically, um, because of COVID? I think we kind of talked a little bit about some of the short-term stuff with, uh, you know, seating and, and how, you know, fan attendance and what that might look like. And then also, you know, some of the players are going to deal with, with sanitizing and things like that, but thinking a little bit more long-term, what changes do you think there are that we see as a direct result of COVID-19? Um, I don't think there will be any, I can tell you right now there will not be any sports dropped because the athletic department as a whole is profitable and the university does not do anything working on debt. So in terms of financial stability, there, there may be schools bringing in more money every year. There's plenty of those, but there's not any schools that are more financially stable. So sure. while other schools are cutting sports left and right, I don't think that will be an issue. Um, you know, I think maybe I, there could be a possibility that this sparks off some alignment thing, depending on what happens. If some of these schools that are getting money from their state legislature, if that dries up, then their entire athletic department can run into problems. That's a bigger issue at the G5 level. So it's less of a concern um, to BYU. But if, you know, there's, in, I mean, if you look at the Big 12, which would be the landing spot in a P5 conference, they, I don't think, if there's I don't know, there. yeah, there's a left, there's enough oil money to go around. It's not going to be a problem. And that would be probably, that'd be the last thing that the Texas state legislature cuts. So I don't think <laughs> that's an issue. Um, but I think, so I don't think long-term this is going to have a major impact other than the continuing decline in attendance, which is a national issue. Just as the TV product is getting 
more polished and TVs are continually cheaper where you can get a 85 inch 4k TV for like 900 bucks and be sit on your couch and it's more comfortable not to deal with traffic. You know, there will be, I think a drop in that, especially if schools go no fans or only partial attendance and people don't renew their season tickets. And there's a lot of people out there who only have season tickets because you know, they say I have not missed a home game in 37 years. And once right. they miss one game and sit at home, I mean, I guess they do it for away games, but you know, once they break that streak, it's going to be, it's a lot easier. Right? It's a lot easier for them to keep it broken instead of hopping back in next year. So I think for there sure. may be, you know, it's kind of been on this decline the last decade really of attendance across the board, but I think there may be a little bit of a small cliff um, dropping down at most schools across the country. Um, I, I think you're right. Next year. That is, I think, where I, I see the biggest impact, long-term impact because of COVID-19, I hope anyways. Um, uh, real quick, I've seen a lot of people that have said things like, well, maybe this is a good thing for BYU as other schools are having to cut, uh, you know, cut costs, cut salaries, things like that. Maybe that kind of resets some of that you know, salary bubble and BYU is a little bit more competitive. Sure. But I, we don't know, right? I kind of doubt it. I think maybe in the short term that helps, but once things kind of normalize themselves, then the guys who have money will start spending money again and the guys who don't will, will continue to not have money. Um, but one thing I think that will be a big change, I hope it's a big change. And if I was an ESPN executive, my gosh, I would make it a big change. This is the ultimate time to give fans access to what happens on the field. Rather than piping in crowd noise and things like that into a TV broadcast, uh, I mean, how much do we love when players are mic'd up and stuff, right? Like, let's get go, more microphones. Go get the XFL broadcast crews and yeah. bring them in. That was right. so awesome. That's what I want, man. I mean, and obviously there's some – you have to – there's a lot of uh, – vulgar language and things like that. You'd have to be cognizant of all of that that happens on the field, but I want to hear big time football for what big time football is. I want to hear the calls. I want to hear the audibles. I want to, you know, hear what the offensive linemen when they're, when they're calling out all of their coverages and things, let's hear all that stuff. Fans love access. And if we know that there aren't fans there at the game, we're not going to buy that there's fake fan noise. Like it's not going to be realistic. So go all in on access as much as possible and let's hear football for what it is. And I would imagine that there's a lot of fans that want to hear that. And I think we would see elements of that that are sprinkled in telecasts forever of trying to, to bring fans into the, you know, into the game a little bit more. And then on that same coin, a little bit uh, VR attendance. I think we're going to see a lot of that. that if BYU can't allow people to come in and sit in the stadium, well, they could set up cameras, right? VR cameras that you pay for access to instead of, you know, paying $500 to sit uh, in the chair back seats on the 50 yard line on the West side of the Edward stadium. Maybe you pay $25 for access to put on a VR headset and watch a game from there live for that game. Maybe not every school gets into that, but I think we'll see that certainly at the professional level. And maybe it's some of that the big time college level as well to just give fans a different experience to kind of combat what you're talking about with that declining attendance. And I mean, I think you would hear stuff if they if they're playing in an empty stadium, you're going to hear stuff just because there is no crowd noise. I did see one thing: some company is trying to make an app that would pipe sound from your living room into the stadium so instead of piping fake fan noise it would be like you could dial in to like this call or whatever and so as you're screaming at your tv the sound from you yelling at your tv would go into the same and i don't see how that's gonna work because everything's on a delay so just that seems pointless to me uh but i think the vr is interesting i don't i don't know to what extent they'll happen because i mean i don't have a vr headset i don't know how many people that do but that would i mean that's something that you the kind of thing you're saying where this could be a long-term thing of, okay, if you can do that, like, you know, can you slap a VR camera on the side up to the press box? And now that's an option to everybody or that you can go ongoing or, you know, get follow the XFL thing where it's, you have coordinators and the quarterback and players mic'd up. You're doing more sideline interviews, just make it a better product. And even if you watch the XFL, obviously you don't know every team's terminology. You don't know, you know what I'm saying, but just it felt, more real and like you were in the game and people liked it. And that's why, I mean, 
yet settled down into not great but not horrible numbers. And even though they declared bankruptcy and Vince McMahon is trying to buy himself out of bankruptcy, which I don't know how that works, but <laughs> you have to have a lot of money to have that type of master plan. But I mean, they have 20 bidders of people trying to buy their assets, I saw, and put on a 2021 season because people really liked, and the people that latched onto it really liked that style of broadcast. And, you know, that would be so awesome, especially if it is, I mean, it's just, things are just better to me in college sports because you have, you know, you grew up everybody, pretty much everybody. If you are a BYU fan, you know, at least one person who played there, you know, I don't know, like, I don't know someone that played for every NFL team, you know, whatever. Like, I mean, I grew up with a couple, played with a couple of kids who made it to the league whatever, but they, it's very, it's much more real when you went to school there, your parents went to school there, sibling friends went to school there, you grew up around it, you know, a handful of people that played there. And it's, you know, just the idea of college sports is so much more passionate to me than the NFL. And if you can make that even better by putting fans closer into the game, then, you know, the product on the screen would be even better. Maybe they don't want to do that because they don't want to make the product on the screen better because they want people to be showing up to games true yeah it's true it's 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 an interesting thing and anyway i think we will see a lot of uh stuff from this year that is at least sprinkled about you know throughout the the coming years when things get normal all right garrett moving on with our mailbag uh let's talk about some recruits bentley redden we got a question about bentley redden and his ceiling uh bentley redden for those of you don't know big tight end out of uh, san clemente california uh, plays in the Trinity League. Plays at the same, you know, the same school that Isaac Rex and Preston Rex and Cole Fotheringham have played at. Uh, he's the son of former BYU offensive defensive lineman. Excuse me, BYU defensive lineman Matt Redden. Uh, he has an offer from BYU. He has an offer from schools like Virginia, uh, schools like Tennessee, Arizona State, uh, and then other schools like Utah, Stanford are also kind of lurking around and it could offer in the near future. Um, a lot of schools are recruiting him in a lot of different positions. Uh, he plays tight end. He could play defensive end. Uh, he's only about 220 right now that he could stay small and play outside linebacker. The question is, where, where do you think his ceiling is the highest? And for me, it's a no-brainer. He's a tight end, man. I mean, he, he has the ability to be a really, really special pass catcher. He's a fluid athlete. He's got quick hips. Uh, he could be um, – he reminds me a lot of a, a Matt Bushman. I don't think he's ever going to be an elite blocker from the tight end position, but he has all the skills to be a really, really good uh, receiving tight end. And I think that's where BYU wants him the most. They're recruiting him as an athlete. They they can stick him on either side of the ball. But uh, I personally think he is a born and bred to play tight end and play offense. I agree. Uh, You know, I don't think he has the – speed to play outside linebacker even if he stays I think it's unlikely he stays at that 220 weight um, just with his size I don't think he has the speed to play outside backer especially with how the game is moving to where really an outside linebacker in 2020 and most FBS systems is really what like a strong safety was you know like right. if you look at if you go back and look at it, I mean Kyle Van Noy you had like Fred Warner those guys are playing out on the numbers manned up with the wide receiver and getting right. asked to cover in space. If you are like 6'6 six, six and 255 pounds, you're not going to be able to do that unless you are an absolute freak of nature. You're going to be a top 10 pick. And, you know, somehow you're like a Vernon Davis being that size of running a 4'3'8 or whatever he ran. So I don't think he, I think, you know, like you said, he has that build and that size to grow into his body and is quick enough, but not blazing to work a zone and find a soft spot and just catch everything you know really thrown to him so really similar to what Matt Bushman was where he was a little thinner in high school he played more outside um, you know was a wide receiver even though he was a very big bodied wide receiver and you know that's kind of really where now under Jeff Grimes that's kind of that tight end mold where they're going with even you know you had like Hank Tui Pelotu last year was doing great the first couple of days of camp before he got hurt again. Same kind of mold where he was a wide receiver in high school, but was a bigger body. Dallin Holker the year before, same type of thing where he was, you know, 6'4", 6'5", 6'6", played as a 215, 220-pound wide receiver in high school, and but really obviously projected 
at the tight end to the tight end position and will just be just fast enough and you know but with his size be able to create mismatches based on size not obviously he's not going to blow past anybody but can find that soft spot in the zone and work through it yep could not agree more all right, next question in the mailbag was about Raider DeMooney. Uh, Raider picked up an offer from Oregon last week, and I think immediately uh, BYU fans started to have a little bit of PTSD, and names like Brandon Cajo and Siaki Ika started popping up in their heads of big-time players that were committed to BYU at one point and then blew up and then decommitted to BYU. So immediately questions about Raider DeMooney's commitment status uh, started to come up. Um, I've talked to a lot of different people, including Raider himself in the last week, man. And I, I would just be shocked if he ever decommits from BYU. I mean, I, I, obviously his dad is on staff and that is going to play a huge role. Like that's not a secret. That's going to play a very, very, that's big the role. reason James MP is in Provo. So, right. And, and it's, it's going to play and a, probably chess too. Role. Correct. And you know, and if something were to happen with the staff and, and Jack were to be let go, then certainly that changes things for him. Uh, but at this point, I, I don't see anything anything changing. I don't think any offer from Oregon is going to change anything. Uh, and the people, you know, point blank, the, uh, one of the people that I spoke with who knows who knows Raider well, I asked, you know, is there any concern of a possible flip there? And it was a one-word, simple text reply of none. And then I was like, none? And they said, none whatsoever. I mean, so Raider is as committed as anybody is. Um, I, I look at Raider and Logan Fano kind of in the same mold, right? They both obviously play a tip view. They both committed really early on. I think they committed you know, within the same month or two of each other uh, way back in you know, 2017. And they both kind of had a similar recruitment story that up until Jason Ayu and Jack DeMooney took over the recruiting at BYU, neither one of them really felt the love like they felt like they deserved, or at least like the love that they were feeling from other schools who were trying to recruit them, Wisconsin, Michigan, other schools. Uh, Logan ended up backing off of his BYU pledge. And I think if Raider was going to do that, he'd have done it at the same time because they were in the same exact situation. Uh, At this point, Jason Ayu, Jack DeMooney, they have totally changed the way that BYU is recruiting. There's a lot more emphasis on those two in particular, but really all of these high-profile LDS guys. And so I I, I just don't see Raider DeMooney going anywhere else. And I may be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure that Jack DeMooney was the first Fijian-born FBS player. Correct. And so he, so when it comes to their family relationship to BYU, it's, uh, you know, he, it's not just, oh, they happened to offer my dad's school. Like, it's a very, you know, it's a very big thing for their family, um, you know, because of where that situation was coming from. And I can kind of relate to that also i posted about this on the board before it's um they you know i can relate to that my parents joined the lds church after my dad started going to they were already married my dad started going to school at byu and that's when my parents joined the church so if, if you're in that situation where it can be more than just oh my dad play here like he's not just a legacy he it's like yeah. an extra layer on top of that he's because, his own legacy. It's right it's his own legacy on top of it and it's you know the same just because it's not, yeah, he was, he was not just a random recruit. That is, they went out to the middle of nowhere and took a flyer on a kid who, you know, was way out there and it was something new that no school had ever done before and took yep. that chance on him. And so, and that's, I'm sure that that's obviously not lost on Jack and it's, I don't think it's lost on Raider either. Yep. I agree. Uh, real quick with the mailbag here, Garrett, a couple of non uh, football questions that came in. Uh, talking about working from home, I know that you're in the same boat that a lot of Americans are in. I'm in the same boat. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I'll let you you know explain what your career is. I'm actually a banker. Um, you know, it feels like I'm a banker on the side, but really I'm a banker by trade, and I kind of do this 24/7 thing on the side. Uh, we uh, mobilized our bank, and we are 100% working from home. Um, it's different. Um, so the, the, the question that came in was, you know, what, what happens with working from home? How do you like it? Uh, I do like it. And the, the second part of the question is what do you think happens in the future with people working from home? Um, you know, housing, housing can change. I, I think that there's going to be a lot more flexibility and a lot of emphasis on work life balance. And there already Definitely. has been a lot of emphasis on that, but I think you'll continue to hear that more and more and more, uh, regardless of your field. And, uh, yeah, I mean, overall, I, 
I love it. I, I don't see any any difference in productivity whatsoever. There's a few different nuances that I don't like about working from home, but there are things that I don't like about working at an office. And overall, I think it's a good thing. Yeah, same. And I think the really like you said, just I like having the flexibility, um, just because you know we are also working from home. So I work, um, I work as a data engineer at Shutterfly, and so we are we have production facilities. And so that's hard, you know, because we can't completely shut down because there's a manual processes, but everyone who is able to go remote is currently going remotely. And I think most people and the kind of people that I've talked to would just be able to have the option just because it can kind of be a grind when you don't leave your house for, you know, an entire week at a time. And so just being able to have the flexibility of, you know, going into the office every other day or being able to go, you know, only two days a week and things like that, then, would be really awesome. And I think that's what most people were looking for. Or even I was talking, talking about this the other day, like it'd be awesome if, you know, maybe you have an office or get an office budget to go have an office space, but it's not with anyone from your company. Like, you know, it would be awesome if, you know, you and I live near each other. We work for different companies, but we have our office space and we go to work and it's, you're with your friends. And so you're still getting that social thing. And I think maybe, which is, I guess, that's kind of the whole point of we work in those co-working space type things. But, you know, see more of that where you have more flexibility. And I really do think that if this sticks as more and more companies are already committing saying, Hey, we're doing this permanently, or we're going to give everyone the option to whatever, you know, it will have an effect on the housing prices because now you don't need to be in a big metro area. Like you can live in Omaha or Kearney, Nebraska, if you want to, but work for Facebook or Twitter and, yeah. you know, or any company in the world. And so that's going to take a lot of pressure off of, housing. And I mean, if I knew, okay, I only need to go into work one or two days a week, I'm okay with an hour plus commute because I'm only doing it two days a week versus having to do that every day. So my willingness to drive further, you know, I would be okay. I'll move 30 minutes outside further outside of town to save a hundred thousand dollars on a house, which, uh, and I think a lot of people would find themselves in that situation. Definitely. And then the last question, and it's almost more of a statement than a question, but again, a non-sports related uh, comment in the mailbag could not agree with more beef prices are insane man i went it's so to, bad oh my gosh i went to that's why we're this? eating that's why we're eating sweet potato patties <laughs> i went to sam's club i think this last was where it was this last week and a pound of ground beef was like 7.99 uh to meet demand they're grinding steaks into ground beef and get this so <laughs> one of the weirder things about me is my ties into the dairy farming and beef farming communities. I have a lot of them. Uh, and I was actually up with my grandparents for Memorial Day, and we were talking a little bit about, they own a big dairy farm, and they, and they do some beef cattle as well. And they were talking about their local butcher that really does most of their uh, most of their beef stuff. Typically what they're able to do in, you know, in a normal circumstance is they, they would harvest just one cow at a time. And they could go to that butcher at any given time, drop the cow off, and the, the butcher would have time to process and away he would go. But because of COVID and there's been so many butchers that have closed down and so many of these refineries that have closed down, um, this guy in Lewiston, Utah, he's fortunate enough that he's been able to stay open. But right now he is currently scheduled a year out because there are so many people who need to get beef. And that's how he's giving life hell right now. Oh, dude. his bag, the bag is secured. And he is doing really well, but he can only process so much. Right. And right. So the greater beef market is killing us. And everybody who has a, you know, a barbecue, a smoker, a grill, whatever is going to feel the impact. And it sucks. It really does. I think there's four companies that process about 80% of the beef in the U S I think two of them are not owned by, they're not U.S. companies. And so it's, there's, it's a whole mess and a lot of things. And it's, you know, people are trying to find, you know, those local butchers in a lot of places they just don't exist anymore. Um, and so you got to, or you got to drive out to find a meat processor in the middle of nowhere. And it's, you know, finding a cow can be hard. So it's, I mean, I've, yeah, I've looked out here into, you know, going in with a couple of coworkers to, you know, buy a side of beef and get it done up because it's i mean i don't want to pay seven dollars for a pound for 70 30 terrible <laughs> ground chuck like <laughs> though i have you i don't know if you've noticed this at walmart now and i don't know if it's just in the south they sell wagyu at walmart 
now. I have seen that and I, I refuse to believe it, but yes. I, I bought one once for science and it was very good. So it was, <laughs> it was a grass fed grain finished Wagyu for like $22 a pound at Walmart or something. <laughs> but for science, man. For science. I'm, I'm everything for science. Um, so um, we're going a little long here. Um, so last thing kind of that we got, um, we have two questions, two more things that we want to hit on. So Jackson Dart is the QB offer out right now for 2021. Um, so he played at Roy high school his first three years and has since transferred to corner Canyon, um, to play for Eric care there. Um, obviously that's where Zach Wilson played. That's where Josh Wilson played. Um, their last, the quarterback who took over for Zach Wilson, a uh, Cole Hagen, he signed with Yale. Uh, was it Yale or Prince? Yeah, yep. It was Yale. Okay. That's why I knew. I remember it was an Ivy league. Um, but so it's, you know, Eric Carey and Eric was at coach care was at Jordan before that. And Jordan, you know, Austin Kofensis and um, I can't even remember all the Jordan Hart. There were a ton of huge numbers from quarterbacks coming out of Jordan high school. Now it's since gone on to corner Canyon. And so he's moved down there to refine his game. So what do you, what do we think about Jackson dart? Dude, I love Jackson dart. So he, he, when he played at Roy, he played for Freddie Fernandez, who uh, I have uh, been able to watch him. He's coached up in Northern Utah. And I've, I've watched a Freddie Fernandez quarterback for the last uh, 10 or 15 years of my life. One of the best coaches. And then he to go and play for coach care. I mean, he's, he's getting the best coaching that Utah high school football has to offer. Uh, and you can see it in the way he plays, man. He's just so well coached. He's fundamentally sound. His arm is massive. He actually has offers to play college baseball as well. And I think at one point, Coach Littlewood was talking to him about playing baseball at BYU. Uh, he's got a big arm, and he absolutely could. Uh, you know, if you're going to go with a pro comparison, he reminds me a little bit of a guy like Ben Roethlisberger. He's mobile enough, not old Ben Roethlisberger. Ben Roethlisberger today is a little bit different, but when he was young, right, coming out of Miami of Ohio, he was just a bigger dude. Uh, Jackson's a bigger dude. He's 6'3", 210, 215. Uh, so he could take, you know, take a hit, but he's mobile. I mean, he can, he can pull the ball down and he can pick up some yards, but he, he wants to use that big arm. And for the most part, he uses his legs to buy his big arm more time and find a guy down the field. He can make every throw that a college quarterback needs to make today. I mean, he has the arm to do that today. Um, He's got to work on some of the, the you know, reading a defense and things like that because he has been able to get away with just chucking it deep. Um, but I think he's there. He works out with Zach Wilson already. He works out with John Beck. He's, he's got great coaching. His dad, Brandon Dart, is a former college football player, played at University of Utah. Um, really love Jackson's game, man. I, I've been a big fan for a couple of years, and I think that uh, BYU's in a good spot. The thing that's going to be interesting about Jackson is, is how BYU makes it work. The scholarship numbers just don't allow a huge class of 2021. And so I think in order to get Jackson into the program, one of these quarterbacks who's on the roster now is going to have to transfer out or Jackson's going to have to commit to either gray shirt or going on a mission. I think if it were up to him, he would choose to play right away. Uh, but I think that if he, uh, you know, if he, if he falls in love with BYU and that's, you know, what he has to do, then I, he's certainly going to do that. But, he, he has a number of P5s that are already talking to him now. Colorado's talking to him. A few other Pac-12 schools are. So he, he's not done gaining offers, and they're, they're going to keep coming. And he's going to have a bevy of options. And it'll be interesting to see what BYU does. I, I think they should make room for him because he's, he's super good. Yeah, and it's always hard because it seems like every year there is, you know, there is one or two quality LDS you know, FBS quarterback prospects and BYU has historically done very well landing them. I mean, it's, if you look, even going back is, you know, as obviously Tanner Mangum didn't work out the way we'd all hope, but I mean, he was one of the highest rated recruits going, you know, quarterback recruits in the country. Conover was highly recruited. Sal J. Mayava was also highly recruited. And it seems like we get that LDS guy. So if we don't land dart or we move on and maybe because it is such a small class we don't take a quarterback right now and kind of look at a transfer or something it's not the end of the world like you said but i think he definitely is the best quarterback in prospect in the state um that can be kind of tricky in terms of projecting things because in terms of high school football in utah offenses are way farther ahead than defenses and so if you get a quarterback who can just like 
who has the arm to just throw it up and sling it out there and you have a couple of decent receivers, then you're going to be throwing for 5,000 yards a season, putting up crazy numbers. And a lot of it really goes untested. And so, you know, you don't, you aren't forced to make all of those reads and, you know, think quite as much and it's less of a mental game. And that's, I mean, that's a problem for like, that's a problem for like 80% of the country. Um, but it's, you know, it, that's where you see most of, you know, the high level quarterbacks really come out of a few hot spots where the competition, especially defensively can actually match. And so you know more of what you're getting because they're a little bit more proven in that sense, but he has all the physical tools. Um, like you said, and I think he's just a fun kid to watch and it's, he, you know, he'll just drop back and just let it rip and he just plays, he plays loose. And that's, uh, it's always fun to see a quarterback just, you know, just kind of not care and kind of, it's almost, it's like a, organized schoolyard chaos is you know i mm-hmm. love watching quarterbacks who play that way i love it i really love dart's game um I, I hope nothing but the best for him it's been fun getting to know him wherever he ends up i i think he's criminally underrated right now i think his rating will continue to climb he's a, currently a three-star but a low three-star his rating is going to go his recruiting is going to go uh very similar to zach wilson zach wilson handful of g5 offers committed to boise state for a long time b5s came in late i think you'll see a lot of the same with jackson dart uh moving on to our last topic real quick garrett it is preseason college football magazine season which is one of my favorite seasons of the year the first one that i have that has been mailed to me a little bit early this week is uh athlon's preview zach wilson is on the cover of the Mountain Edition, so that's great. He joins uh, he joins Brant Keithy from Utah and Nate Landman from Colorado on the cover of Athlon Sports Mountain Edition. And Athlon, you got to check it out. You got to buy the magazine to get the full preview. But some of the highlights, uh, they're projecting BYU to finish with a seven and five record, which I think most people would probably agree with, whether they wanted to agree with that or not. That's probably I think safe I think every every preview you see this year is going to be pretty much identical. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. Seven and five. I think uh, draft Kings, when they set out their uh, win totals for the year, they have BYU at six and a half. So that's right there. Uh, hopefully BYU can be a little bit better than that, but seven and five seems pretty fair. Uh, they talk a lot about the offense, that the offense should be much, much better um, with you know, three talented quarterbacks and experienced offensive line. They, they are really high on the offense. They're uh, equally low on the defense after what they saw from uh, Elisa Tuiaki's group last year. Um, a couple of things that we'll highlight here. Uh, one thing that I think everybody wants to, to see when they see these Athlon previews, Athlon does a great job if they find uh, opposing coaches that talk about BYU. And this year, um, I'll just read some of the highlights here. Opposing coaches on BYU, their returning returning starting quarterback might not be their best option. I think there's going to be a full-on race through camp, and they may make a change this season. With his injuries, he's kind of plateaued. They were really banged up in the secondary. There's potential, uh, but it's really about his health. Uh, They go on to say they've definitely been hit hard by the injury bug while Sataki has been there, and after, after a while of that, you take a look and see if you're causing any of that. Um, you know, basically alluding to the the strength and conditioning program at BYU. That's a question that a lot of BYU fans have had, and apparently opposing coaches do as well. Um, and then the last comment that I want to read from opposing coaches, I think the question of it is, why do they think they can do the same things the same ways and get different results every year? This is a roster that's one of the better looking G5s on paper, and they can reach up and beat a p5 but they're not athletic or deep enough to look like the p5 that they think they can be they just aren't pretty harsh criticism from opposing coaches every time i read these i sort of feel like they're talking to you know gary anderson or kyle whittingham but that's probably short-sighted um and i think you know a lot of this criticism is probably fair i i think it is too and it's still i mean obviously since Kalani has come in, there is more depth and the overall raw athleticism of the program has improved. Um, you know, the top end guys that we're seeing coming in are similar, but it's, we're getting more, you know, we're getting just better athletes. Like we're getting guys like Isaiah Haran, who was under recruited, but instead of, you know, getting kind of a no name 
guy from, you know, in a normal hotbed. They went out to Vegas and found someone said, Hey, this is an athlete, you know, him, Chris Wilcox, like we can take an athlete and work with them. And if we're going to take a flyer on somebody. And so I think the overall talent and depth has improved, but like you said, it's still not to the point where they need to be creative. And I think this is for both coordinators, this is kind of the put up or shut up year. And to me, I mean, I look beyond the record and because of how the staff or the way the schedule looks going forward and down the pipeline, it, you know, it may be a seven and five or eight and five type year again, but that could be very successful depending on how the rest of that schedule shakes out. But, you know, in Kalani's time, the offense has always been worse than the defense. And last year they were kind of equal. And I think this year, really is the time where both of them need to take a step forward. And there's, you know, they made a schematic change on defense last year, took a big step backwards. They need to get back to figuring out what's working, especially with trying to get pressure up front, just because none of the guys in the program right now in the front seven have been good at creating pressure and getting really any kind of havoc. Um, So when you talk about havoc, that's pass breakups, fumble, forced fumbles, interceptions, um, or tackles for loss. Tackles for loss. Yeah, and, and sacks. So that's, you know, we're not generating much havoc from the front seven in terms of sacks, tackles for loss and things like that. But, and on offense, it's really, I mean, look, Zach Wilson, you're coming to your third year as a starter. This is, you know, you've actually been around last season. You were off you know, rehabbing your shoulder. You were going in California, training a lot, you know, trying to get your throwing motion fixed and all of that. You know, this is your time to really put it together and step up and be a leader. And, you know, any team goes as the quarterback goes and they, you know, it's really needs the offense needs to step up and put it together. You know, you've got the entire offensive line is coming back. You've got two guys that have started the last 26 games um, together on the offensive line. And so it's, there's really, there is no excuse for this offense to not be the best offense of the independence era, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think you, you kind of touched on it a little bit last year, um, well, just barely about last year. I think the defense I don't really care what the end numbers say. I think the defense was far worse than the numbers even saying. The numbers aren't good, right? The defense took significant steps back, and I think it's the opposite for the offense. I think the offense is much better than the numbers say. Um, and Athlon has three numbers that kind of support that a little bit. Um, the first one is uh, 73.33%. Of the, these are the three numbers that you need to know. 73.33% Athlon says BYU entered the red zone 60 times in 2019, which ranked 15th nationally. However, the Cougars came away with points just 73.33% of the time, which ranked 120th. BYU scored 31 touchdowns and settled for 13 field goals inside the 20 yard line. Um, I think that shows that that offense can move the ball and they've got to figure out some execution issues inside the red zone. For the most part, that really comes down to health that comes down to a quarterback who makes smart decisions and an offensive line who can get a push. Uh, I think the red zone, because everybody's more experienced red zone performance will be much better this year. Uh, The next number 13.79% Garrett, you already uh, talked about this. It's havoc percentage. Havoc rate is the percentage of snaps in which a defense records either a tackle for loss. Obviously that's a sack uh, pass defended or forces a fumble. BYU posted a havoc rate of 13.79% in 2019, which ranked 105th in the country. This defense was as bland as everybody on Twitter says it was. That's, just, that's not good enough. Kairos Tonga, if you are hearing my voice, and you too, Lorenza Fawatea, you need to do better and get after the quarterback. Uh, dude, it's everybody. I mean, the interior needs to be a little bit more aggressive, especially in the run game. Uh, the outside defensive linemen, uh, I think Uriah Leotow is going to have a big year, but he was the only defensive lineman who had double-digit pressures last year. I mean, that's terrible. You, you can't have an entire season with only one offensive lineman who gets double-digit pressures, meaning that they are forcing the action at the quarterback. Uh, whether they pick up a sack or not, they're getting pressure on the quarterback. Uriah is the only one who did that more than 10 times. And, man, whether it's Ed Lamb, Elias Tuiaki, whoever it is, keep Uriah Leotawa on the field for the love of all that is holy because rotating him out so often so that he's sitting out entire series isn't getting it done because the guys behind him aren't getting to the quarterback. So Havoc has to improve. The last number, uh, real quick, 24.33%. 
BYU gained 10 yards or more on 20, excuse me, on 227 of its 933 offensive snaps last year. The Cougars' 24.33% rate of double-digit gains ranked number 14 in the country. Again, I think that's further evidence that this offense is not nearly as bad as what people wanted want to believe it was. It is the, yard, few, the yardage was there. They just didn't. It just closed. Absolutely, it, it was a few turnovers. It was a few bad plays. But schematically, this offense was clicking. Uh, this offense was doing a lot of things well. Um, Got to improve in the red zone, and then basically keep doing what they did last year. And this offense is going to be really good. Yeah, and it really, I think, what the offense needs. I'm not worried one bit about the offensive line. Um, I'm really not worried about the quarterback situation. I think either any of the three are fine and can play. We just need someone to be a leader and be consistent. And then I'm, you know, even with running back Katoa was good in the carries he got last year. He's been solid the last two seasons. Uh, Devontae Henry Cole has been good in his career when he got carries up in Salt Lake. And I don't think I'm not worried about throwing him. It's really, we just need, we need Gunnar Romney to step up and be the four-star prospect that he was and that everyone hoped he would be coming out of Chandler high school. And he, you know, he last year, the last two years, really, he's kind of battled injury and it's been a problem, but it's he, we really need him to step up into, we need a dynamic go-to receiver that we can count on. And it's, I mean, I guess last year, you know, the last two years ago, you had Shumway and Hifo who, you know, were okay. They were good, but they were not, they were never going to be um, game breakers. Like, I mean, Hifo was a slot guy. He did short passes. We didn't really have anyone who, we didn't have a receiver who just had the attitude and the moxie to be like, hey, I'm going to get open and I'm going to make a play. And really the offense hasn't had that really since almost really since Cody Hoffman left. Um, you know, Mitch Matthews, his senior year, kind of put that together and was close to that, but it really just, we don't, there's no attitude in the receivers room, it feels like, and we need that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think everybody, everybody on the planet is sleeping on Dax Mill, man. He is special. Uh, if you watch his film, ignore the stats. He played behind a whole bunch of guys. He's a walk-on. Politics, whether they play a role or not, they do. <laughs> so ignore the stats and watch the film of Dax Milne. There is not a receiver on BYU's roster who does a better job of creating space quickly than Dax Milne. He goes up against four-star, five-star defensive backs at, you know, at Washington or at USC, or guys who are you know signing undrafted free agent contracts like Javelin Gidry at Utah, and Dax Milne's able to create space and pull down catches. Dax Milne, I think, has a very, very strong case to make that he will become wide receiver one going into next year. I've also heard very, very positive things about Neil Pau, um, and I've heard those from – a lot of people have heard positive things about the work he's put in, but even from quarterbacks – I'm hearing that they have recognized that, that Pau has made a big step forward, and that Gunner, man, he's he's got to he's got to play like he can. I don't think he's ever going to be, uh, you know, a first round NFL guy, but he has the talent and the hands to be very productive at BYU, and that's what that's what BYU needs. Yeah, I think it's really just need we need less timid, you know, le- less timidness. I think that's the word out coming out of that position group. And that's really just someone to step up and take ownership. And it's, you know, for me looking at, that's kind of where it seems like it's been at. Um, well, I think we've run long again. Um, you know, I, you and I talked. This way might too just much. be a long podcast. Yeah, like, I know. We originally said like 30 minutes. You're probably going to get closer to an hour. Um, who knows? Like maybe once we get into the season and if there's a really game where we get really feisty and angry, we may go about it. Who knows how long. Um, or during the dog days of summer when there's nothing else to talk about. And we may do an episode dedicated to barbecue and just giving tips about smoking because we have nothing else to do. Right. Um, so continue, please reach out, send us mailback questions. Um, you know, check out the VIP deal that we have going, the 75% off an annual membership that's starting tonight um, and running. Is that running through the weekend or just tomorrow? One day that on? will run through tomorrow. That ends tomorrow night. Okay. At- uh, midnight Eastern time. Okay, so that's a one-day only deal on that. And you know, send us your more Hell You Know the Week nominations. We'll get um, we'll get some stickers made up and sent out to Dave. Kim. Oh yeah, we have a logo. We can make oh, stickers. Yeah, we, we have yes, a logo. We have a logo. Um, and you know, with Brigham's beard on the mic, and you know, neither of us are at BYU anymore, so we're both sporting the facial hair as well. And so uh, it's, 
you know, we're, it feels like we're getting in a groove here and uh, good things are happening. So enjoy your week and uh, reach out to us. Oh, we do have an account. We have, we made a new, a separate account for, uh, for the podcast. So it's give them hell pod is the handle. Um, and so we will, you know, be pushing more things there um, that are specifically pod related um, to try to, you know, keep things cleaned up on our timelines a little bit. So awesome, man. This has been fun, Garrett. It's been fun. Another three weeks down and uh, hang in there. Talk to you next week. Likewise. Give them hell, man. Give them hell.